Well, it's so good to have you join us today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dave Fields. I'm uh, the lead pastor here at Summit Drive. And you know, uh, for some of us, you may hear the word evangelism and just start breaking out in hives. Like, (laughs) for some people, evangelism seems like a dirty word. Or like, maybe you don't have um, a background with this whole Christian thing and you're just checking it out. And maybe when you hear the word evangelism or something like that, you just think of like a creepy um, guy on TV who's preaching and wants you to send his money. Or you think of a particular sort of brand of political activism and it's not really very uh, exciting to you. Um, Or for others, maybe you've heard like half a million sermons where the preacher is trying to tell you that you need to be involved in evangelism. Uh, But that person telling you this just seems so completely out of touch with what your workplace is actually like. And, it, and it's like he has no idea how ridiculous this sort of prepackaged approach would sound to your coworkers. The word evangelism, however, I think is a beautiful word. What it means, if we were to kind of translate it out, is it's, it means good news. And I think our world needs to hear some good news right about now. How about you? But it it doesn't just mean any old good news. No, it's the news that there is a king who has come to this world in love and who's going to heal what is broken and bent and sharing that news that there's hope for this world and us within it, that's evangelism. One person describes evangelism as, you know, one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. That's what we're talking about. But what would it really look like today and for us? Um, I'm not going to answer that question in full today, but I want us to begin the conversation because that's actually what kind of creeps up as at heart in our text today. We've been looking at the book of Acts together and we see that God is on mission. The story of Jesus, of his healing love, of the call to find forgiveness in and through him, that's now spreading. And and, and it's it's what God is seeing is is that he's pushing his people to spread that message and that hope out into the world. So let's just pray as we begin today. Father God, I thank you that you inspired the author Luke to write this story down in just this way. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to hear it, that our hearts might be encouraged and that we might be um, sent out as a response to what we hear today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's begin in, we're we're looking at Acts chapter 8 today, or or parts of it at least, so let's begin in chapter 8, verse 1. If you have your Bible or your tablet, open up in that. Now, last week we heard that Um, Chapter 7 ended with Stephen's um, being violently executed by the people that he was, well, sharing this good news with um, at the hands of the temple leadership. And then here at the beginning of our text today, we're introduced to one of the key figures in the whole story of early Christianity, really. Look at 8.1. It says, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, this Saul is who we will later be known as Paul. Let's keep reading. On that day, the day that Stephen was killed, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout 
Judea, and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And you know, later on in the book of Acts, we'll hear Paul's own words about that time. Here's what he says in Acts 22, 4. He says, I persecuted the followers of the way, that's of Jesus, to their death. So this is the time that the, Luke is writing about of incredible loss and pain for the church. And it should tell us that if anyone ever tries to tell you that following Jesus will make your life easier, you can read it for yourself in here. That is just not true. But, and this is true, somehow God does even bring joy in the midst of our pain. See, happiness is based on our happenings, on our circumstances being positive, you might say. Joy is not. Joy is is the result of depth of relationship with God and with others. And when we're on God's page, even in circumstances that are far less than ideal, maybe that aren't happy, maybe our circumstances are actually sad. We talked about people grieving over Stephen's death. Sad circumstances, we can still experience joy because of the closeness it brings to God and to other people. Here the circumstances are unhappy, and yet they are moved. The church has moved to the next stage of the mission of Jesus, and that actually will lead to joy springing up. Our first big point really is just that, that we need to entrust ourselves and even our pain to God, and that God can and will work in and through that for His good purposes. So we have to see God's plans, they are not thwarted by this persecution. If anything, they advance through it. Look at verse 4. It says this, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Two things. Number one, um, there are some I've heard suggest that the church was failing to go as Jesus had commanded, right? He says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. And so this persecution was really more like God, uh, God was moving them out because they had been disobedient. And I really don't think that's what's happening in this text. Instead, I think John Stott is, is right when he says this. He says, what is plain is that the devil, who lurks behind all persecution of the church, overreached himself. His attack had the opposite effect of what he intended. Instead of smothering the gospel, persecution succeeded only in spreading it. The wind increases the flame. And two, notice, who was scattered? We find out in verse one, everyone except the apostles. And so who is preaching wherever they went? Well, it says everyone who was scattered, like all of God's people. Um, I like the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in his uh, paraphrase of the Bible called The Message. He puts it like this, forced to leave home base, the followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. Everyone in the Jesus community came to embrace their missional identity. They took up their role as informal missionaries in that moment. 
it, it says that they, like all of them, were preaching. Is Luke serious about that, though? I, I actually, I really think he is. See, preaching is, is actually a broader word than we often think of. It does include a formal presentation of the gospel uh, f- and training for gospel-shaped living, like that takes preparation and presentation skills, something like what I have to do as part of my role on a weekly basis. I said have to. I love to, <laughs> by the way. That's what I mean. But preaching should never be reduced down to what I'm doing now, like standing on a stage in a formal setting. It happens whenever one person points another person to the saving work of Jesus. It's also not just expounding a biblical text. No, actually, Peterson's helpful in the way he, he translates this phrase, they preach the word. Because what is meant there is they preached, like they spoke out loud with the people that they were interacting with as there was questions about their faith. They, they preached the message about Jesus. That's what it means to preach the word. It's to preach the message about Jesus. It's introducing people to Jesus, the story of his life, his identity as God the Son, his love and his sacrificial work in our place, his death on the cross, and his triumphant, victorious resurrection. And now the fact that he's reigning and he has healing power for his people, that he has something for our future. And preaching includes bearing witness. This is really key. Like it's coming from our own personal encounter with Jesus as our saving king and how he's changed us. It's telling our story and how our story is connected to the bigger story of what God has done for us, how he's transformed our hearts and lives. So in that way, there's no like um, pre-planned roadmap on how to preach the message of Jesus. This, for these people, this is coming out in their conversations and their spirit-prompted opportunities as we'll see in a moment. But this is, this is really our second big point then. If Luke is serious, and I think he is, that day, every one of the Jesus followers became preachers. They became informal missionaries. And this text tells us that every follower of Jesus, I think, still has to be prepared to preach the message about Jesus as the opportunities arise. Just this past Wednesday, I got a text from somebody, and they were asking for prayer. Um, They were asking for prayer that there would be an opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with a family member. See, this is someone who understood their missional identity, that they actually have a role in preaching the message about Jesus. Because the same applies for us today. Yes, of course, people who are gifted and called to a specific ministry of evangelism, that's true. And yes, there are people within the community who are called to focus on a a life of gospel-centered preaching who will receive training and education. But these folks, and I'm I'm talking about like pastors and teachers, uh, church leaders now, our goal is to equip the people of God to be about the missional calling that God has on your life, actually. (laughs) Uh, scholar Michael Green, he, he studied the early Christian movement and, and um, one of his books on the subject called Evangelism in the Early Church. He concludes that overall, the explosive uh, growth in Christianity in the ancient world was in reality, this is to quote him, was in reality accomplished by means of informal 
missionaries, like what we're reading about in the text today. In his estimate, 80% or more of evangelism was done by ordinary Christians explaining their faith to those in their household, their relatives, their work associates. He says Christians with no formal uh, training, no education in ministry, that's who carried the message of Jesus forward in their informal conversations. Now, to quote him in homes, in wine shops, on walks, and around the market stalls, they did it naturally, they did it enthusiastically. Now, Green is careful to show that not all evangelism is informal. Yes, there are places for well-trained, intellectually rigorous kinds of folk to present Jesus in a more, you might say, formal setting, a university or other uh, settings like that. We'll see later on that happens in Acts too. That's part of it, but that's not primarily what changed the ancient world and introduced people to Jesus. And it's not primarily what's changing our world either. It's the collective of all of us. That's what has the greatest missionary impact on our city and beyond. In his book, Preaching, Communicating Faith in an Age of Skepticism, Tim Keller, I think, says it rightly. He says, every Christian needs to understand the message of the Bible well enough to explain it to other Christians. And, and, and when you read the Bible, it talks about like admonishing each other or encouraging each other. We do that by understanding what the Bible's message is. And to his or her own neighbor or his or her neighbors in informal and personal settings, like explaining the good news of Jesus to your neighbors. Um, I met my friend, friend Matt in my second year of university through some mutual friends. We just enjoyed hanging out. Uh, we would spend time chatting at school. And in the process of spending time with him, I also, in my own just kind of personal prayer time, was, was praying for him regularly because I wanted him to know the same kind of love and peace and hope that I had experienced in Jesus. We were both studying sciences and had conversations of all kinds, you know, about girls and geography and movies and, and God, actually. I remember a day that I really felt God prompting me to, well, to buy him a copy of the New Testament and drop it off at his house. I remember wrestling with God about this. Like, I felt super awkward, to be honest. What if he thinks I'm only interested in, like, trying to convert him or something? That's totally not the case, but I also love him, and he needs the hope that comes only through Jesus. So I'm wrestling with this in my head, and I decide that my calling to share Christ with others, to be an informal missionary, and to obey the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit in that moment was more important than my fears or my worries. And so I picked up that Bible, and I drove it over his house, and I knocked on the door. Now, my heart is just racing. Um, I must have sounded pretty nervous. I didn't know where to start, and so I just told him, I said, I sense that God wanted me to give you a copy of the New Testament. It's about Jesus. I'm not sure if you want it, but here you go. And I just hand it to him at the door, and it was an awkward moment. Like, I don't think he knew what to say either, but he was grateful. I found out like he was really grateful because he started reading it. And then he wanted to meet for coffee to talk about the stories of Jesus. He actually told me at one point, Dave, why were you so nervous to give me this? If you wanted me to know about Jesus, like, you didn't have to be scared. 
Like, I really needed to know this. I mean, he was right. Um, he ended up attending uh, an Alpha course, actually. It was just running a, a small group I was attending uh, through a local church, just a, a, in our home we, we just met and had a group of people, and we watched the Alpha videos, and we would explore life and who Jesus was. And, you know, a couple months on, I remember Matt and I were walking after, I think, studying at the university. We were walking back through the parking lot, um, beautiful, cold, Prince George, starry night, and, and I remember he just said to me, hey, Dave, remember when we talked about how putting our trust in Jesus is kind of like if you had a check, um, but it's not really worth anything until you cash it in? And I said, yeah, I, I, like, I remember talking about that. And he says, well, I cashed it. And um, we just kind of quietly walked on, and there was this just wash of joy over me in the moment for just having been faithful to the little step that Jesus was calling me into and, and watching how God was actually really at work in Matt's life through that. You know, a few years later, uh, once Catherine and I had moved to Kamloops and I was pastoring here, Matt asked if I would baptize him in the Shushwap Lake. And so we gathered some friends and family around and, and he declared his allegiance to Jesus and, and marked it by his baptism that day. The reality is that I really didn't have all the answers, but I was open to God's leading and to pay attention to just his work around me. And I got to watch and glimpse how God did this. I got to even be a part of it. And I think this text today tells us that all of us need to be open and prepared for that kind of preaching. Be ready just to share the hope that we have in Jesus. So we see that in Acts 8, the whole church takes on this missionary identity. All of them are transformed into preachers. I think this Acts text transforms us too. But we might be thinking, how? And like, what does this mean for us today? Well, we're just going to skip down to verse 26, because I think we get this picture that is really helpful for us uh, of what it looks like and just how God is working in this moment. So verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and Philip, by the way, is one of the servants that uh, we encounter and, and we read about in Acts chapter 6. It says he's, you know, people that are full of the Spirit and wisdom had been given a task. Uh, that's this Philip, and he's just been prompted to go into Samaria. He's just preached there in a city, and now he's well open to the leading of the Spirit. And, 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 and the Lord told him, go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out like he just does it. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. See, he's paying attention. Like, he's got these instructions to go, but there's this Ethiopian eunuch that he meets. And he's an important official in charge of the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This guy's super important, actually. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, like, go to the chariot and stay near it. So now, like, Philip's jogging, I guess, uh, near the chariot. And, then, and he ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Like himself or, or, or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of, of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You see the joy? There it is. There's rejoicing. Even in the midst of the persecution and suffering, the joy comes when people are reconnected to God and to each other. Philip, however, <laughs> appeared at Aztos and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So I want us to go back to our big question again here. What does it mean to live as informal missionaries? I think there's some features that, although this is a historic narrative and, and therefore it's unrepeatable, I, I think it, it ought to, number one, uh, encourage us that there legitimately are people like that eunuch who are seeking out spiritual truth. They're interested. And two, it provides some key features of what it means to be on mission with God. I think we can learn from Philip's encounter here. So first, Philip is prompted to go to a specific place by God's leading. This was, as I said, it's a specific moment in salvation history, no doubt. And God gives specific instructions to Philip for this moment, sure. This is a one-time event, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect to hear from God and his promptings as well. You know, some in our community have responded to promptings to actually leave Kamloops and be, be a part of God's mission in other areas of the world. I think of Dan and Becca in Ukraine. I think of Nathan and Melissa who are preparing to minister to, um, to people in mountain regions in Eastern Europe and Asia. Some of you here today may actually too be called to share the hope of Jesus on the other side of the world. That could be. Or maybe God is prompting you in ways that are particular, um, a particular encounter with a particular person on just like maybe in a few hours from now. I don't know. God still gives us nudges by his spirit that re result in sharing the hope of Jesus with others. I can remember another occasion in my undergrad years um, up in Prince George where I was just trying to learn to pay attention to the promptings of the spirit for me too. One evening I was downtown, I think I had a meeting or something, and I just felt like the Spirit saying, like, don't, don't go home yet, just walk down the street. And so I did. I start walking, and I'm going, what's going on here? It's, it's snowing, it's kind of awful, it's late, it's dark. But as I'm walking along, I, I notice a man, and I just say, well, hello. And he begins to open up to me and share with me. I, he shared with me about his life and he showed me some photographs and I don't remember all the details but I do remember that he was going through a time of deep sorrow and I asked, can I pray for you? And I did and I just I prayed for him and then um, as I was going to go, I, I, I sensed I wanted to invite him to the um, worship service that I had planned and was leading the next night which is, you know, just up the road from there and so I invited him to come and so the next night I'm, I'm 
I'm expecting him to arrive, but I'm also, I had invited another friend of mine. Uh, his name was Cowboy Bob, and he was quite a character. So Cowboy Bob really um, is an interesting man and was called kind of that downtown core area of Prince George, and he would often walk the streets and care for those who were street affected, um, often listening to the promptings of the Spirit, and, and sometimes he would end up, you know, saving the life of a street worker who had been, you know, violently beaten. And, and, and so he had this incredible kind of crazy ministry. I invited Cowboy Bob to come and share with our young adult group. And so, but I'm getting nervous because um, I'm, like, it's just about time to start, and I don't see Bob yet. And so I get up, the band and I are leading in some songs, it's great, and then I tell the, you know, the community that's gathered there to sit down, and there's like 300 young adults filling the sanctuary. And so I begin introducing Bob, hoping he will just kind of materialize like he snuck in the back at some point. I didn't notice. And so I start saying, you know, I'm going to introduce my friend Bob now. And, and it's just crickets, like he's nowhere to be found. <laughs> I don't really remember what I did next. I mean, I probably just read the next scripture reading that I was going to read anyways and maybe talked about it for a few minutes and then sang some more songs. But I, I caught up with Bob the next day, and he was so apologetic. It turns out he, he was actually coming to the church building where we were hosting the service. It was at the First Baptist Church on Fifth Ave in Prince George, and he's pulling on the door handle, and he's pushing on the doors, and they will not open. I mean, he can see people inside, and he's getting frustrated because he's like, why would they lock me out? I'm supposed to be preaching tonight. Um, weird, right? Yeah, kind of. Then he sensed, as he's ran the door, just in this odd moment, just to look back across Fifth Ave. And as he did, he saw the head of a man there. And, and, he, and it's winter, and it's freezing cold. <laughs> well, it might actually just be October, but it's PG, so it's it's winter, believe me. <laughs> and so something's desperately wrong with this picture. And so he senses God calling him and he goes and he ends up getting in the ditch and he starts talking to this man and he's sobbing and he's about to take his life. He's got a knife in his hands. So Cowboy Bob, his calling is to love and care for the least and the marginalized and the most desperate in the city. And so he basically crawls into the ditch with this man and speaks tenderly to him words of hope and life and ministers to his needs until the ambulance can show up and, and, and help kind of move things in a, a more positive direction. And the man that he met there was the man I had talked with the night before, invited to join us. God was working to bring hope into this man's situation. I have no idea what the ultimate outcome was for this man. But the point is that I was responsive to what God was prompting me to. And that Cowboy Bob was responding to the promptings that God had given. Now, Eckhart Schnabel is a scholar, and he writes in his commentary on Acts, he says this, as important and helpful as strategies, methods, <coughs> pardon me, and planning are in the task of missionary proclamation and evangelistic outreach, he says Christians must not miss the promptings of God's Spirit to initiate spontaneous conversations in unforeseen circumstances that might even be deemed inappropriate. Like, that's just a weird thing to do. Why are you doing that? Well, because God is at work here. Two weeks ago, we looked at the idea of improvising in the key of gospel, and I pointed out that idea of needing to pay attention to be 
deepened in our awareness of the world and what's going on around us to pay attention to the needs and the hurts. And here I would add these promptings of God's Spirit to speak words of hope and life too. Now I'm not about to give you five easy steps for the strategy here, but I do think we have to listen to how God was working with Philip and learn from it. And the next thing that we see is also key for us in thinking about mission. See, after responding to the prompting to go to a particular place, Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch. He's an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. So first, this just shows us that God is moving his people to continue reaching further and deeper into the world to make Jesus known. We see that there's this like racial and cultural boundary crossing that Philip is a part of, that the Spirit is at work in, moving his church past these cultural and, um, and religious and ethnic boundaries. There's hope for every culture. That's one of the things we see here. But more, God is concerned with every person. This is a wealthy person. He's able to ride in a chariot. He was able to purchase an Isaiah scroll. That would be incredibly expensive. That's big dollars. He's got a huge responsibility. He's in charge of the treasury of a whole nation. I point that out to say this. Like, we might think, well, I, I could see how so-and-so, you know, might be interested in God, but not this important, you know, maybe it's a government official, a CEO of a big company. Like, why... I would be intimidated to talk to someone like that, we might think. We have no business sharing Jesus with them. Philip is totally unfazed. God is interested in this man. And Philip is the one who's responding to share news with him in that moment. He's unfazed by Simon the sorcerer in the, in the passage just before this one. We didn't read that, but you should go read it too. He's feared and he's famous. And Philip's unfazed by him. And that's the next point we need to see is that Philip, he's not intimidated by the mission, those he's called to preach to. He understands that God's at work in hearts and lives of all sorts of people, people that he, you know, prior to experience of Jesus, he might have tried to avoid these folks. He might have been seen as scandalous if he were to talk with this sorcerer and this this, uh, Ethiopian man. Like, he he might have been seen as, as kind of, that's a weird thing to do. Now, Philip, he gets more instruction. You can just imagine him, like he's, he's now jogging alongside of a chariot, and he's, I mean, we're thinking kind of weird, but he's doing it. Um, by the way, he's not being weird for weirdness' sake. He's just responding to what God has asked him. Um, we don't be weird just to be weird, okay? That's important, actually, as an evangelistic piece. But he's jogging along, and he's listening, and he's paying attention, and he's probably thinking, okay, what next, God? And lo and behold he hears something he recognizes, right? He hears the prophet Isaiah. Now, we have to realize in the ancient world, people didn't read silently. They only read out loud. So he's hearing it read out loud. And what he does next is so key for us. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. So far, we've seen Philip responsive to the nudges of the Spirit to go to this certain place, and he does it. And he's not intimidated with those he's called to connect with. And then he does something we really need to learn from here, is he asks the right questions. That's point number three. He asks the man, what what do you understand this? Do you get it? See, he doesn't assume. He doesn't carry around this kind of prepackaged idea of what this encounter would look like. So he stays open and, and ready. 
And he asks, and look at the answer. He says, how can I? This is the Ethiopian eunuch speaking now. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now, Pastor Colton um, told me a story of when he was um, in seminary, like doing his grad studies in Birmingham, Alabama. He was going to check out a new church, and he actually ended up at the wrong one, which is another funny story. But he goes into this church, and he's dressed kind of like I am now, like you might expect to see him on a Sunday morning. And he, and he goes into the church, and like everyone's in their fancy stuff. Like it's, he feels a little bit out of place, but he sits down, and, and the preacher preaches, and it's a, it's a great message. And afterwards, Colton just kind of goes up, and he, he wants to engage the pastor, and just say thanks, and just chat with him a little bit. But he said the weirdest thing happened. Um, Rather than asking Colton any questions, this pastor begins to talk to Colton as though he has no concept of who Jesus is. Uh, he just assumes because Colton is not all fancied up, I guess he looks, you know, he looks like he obviously needs Jesus, so he's making these assumptions, and he's speaking to Colton like he's not a brother in Christ, but as some sort of like target of evangelism. Assuming, well, you know what that makes us, don't you? Preaching, you see, for Philip, isn't just jumping in and assuming he knows what he needs to say next. Don't do that. This man, um, he doesn't assume that he knows what this man needs, and that's not what, what we're to do either. Asking questions. Hey, what do you believe about that? Tell me more about your story. What, what, well, what do you think of that piece? That's very interesting. And you know what it leads to? Well, it leads to what we see, I think, with the Ethiopian eunuch here. He invites Philip in and says, can you help me explain this to me? And that's what Philip is asked to do, and that's our last point now. Philip shows us how Scripture points to Jesus. Um, we see that the, the Ethiopian man asks a great question, like, who is this text speaking about, the writer or someone else? And it, the text is Isaiah 53. And because we've read Luke's gospel, that's volume one in this two-volume work of Luke-Acts, we find that Jesus himself draws on Isaiah 53 to, to say, this is actually speaking about me. And Luke, um, when he's telling the story of Jesus' crucifixion, he's drawing deeply on the Isaiah 53 passage. And so as attentive readers, we're already kind of queued up to see how that Isaiah text is about, well, ultimately about Jesus. And so Philip, we, we got to notice this though, Philip doesn't begin to preach the text, you might say. He preaches the good news about Jesus. He uses the text. He knows what the text is about, and ultimately the text is pointing to Jesus as well. Preaching in a Christian sense, you have to see, will use the Scriptures to do what the Scriptures are doing, which is to lead people to encounter the risen Lord. Faithful preaching does what Scripture is doing in that sense. At the end of the day, that's leading us to know Jesus. Now, for those who grew up going to church, um, you've heard of the quote-unquote Sunday school answer, right? Um, for those who didn't, let me explain it to you. It's when the teacher asks basically any question, uh, the kids put up their hand, and the answer to that question is Jesus. Okay, that's what often is called the Sunday school answer. Uh, two things I want to say. Number one, well, the Sunday school answer is ultimately the right answer. If you want to know what basically every text of Scripture is ultimately pointing to, 
or moving us toward or, or is addressing the issue that is raised at one point in the text, the answer really, and I don't want to sound ignorant in saying this, but it really actually is as simple as the, the answer is Jesus in one way or another. But, and this really matters too, the other meaning of Sunday school answer is, well, not actually dealing with the complexity of a tough question, but just throwing out the obligatory, oh, I've got a simple, easy, what you call pat answer for you. And never actually dealing with people's tough intellectual questions and objections. Now, later in Acts, we'll see how believers do actually need to give more than a simplistic answer. More on that in weeks to come. But for this morning, I think we're left with a few major takeaways. Number one, the early church, all of them became informal missionaries. Nothing has changed for us. Do you see yourself in, in your workplace, uh, your school, your neighborhood? Do you see yourself as an informal missionary there? That is a part of your identity if you're a follower of Jesus. Embrace it. Be open to it. Second, they all became preachers that day. Again, nothing has changed. If you are in Christ, then you are gifted with the Holy Spirit. And we have access to the Jesus story through the scriptures. Who is it in, in your world that God may be prompting you to begin praying for? I, I challenged this last year. Maybe there's just five people in your life, people who don't know Christ personally, that you're friends with, that you've built relationship with. Would you pray for those five? Just maybe listening for the promptings and the openings and the opportunities. And third thing, maybe you're listening in. And like this whole Jesus thing, it sounds a bit weird to you, but you're interested. Maybe you're a little bit like the Ethiopian in our story that day. Like you're, you're inquiring, you're trying to figure out more. And I would just say, hang with us. Um, there's places that you can connect with. Even right now, we're doing the Alpha course at our church. You can register for that through our church office at info at summitdrive.com. Or if you're a young adult, we're doing the same uh, series with our young adults on Monday night. Or the youth are, are running that too. And it's really to introduce us to who is this Jesus so you can make, um, just be informed about that and make a decision yourself. Now I'm gonna invite you to pray with me as we close our time today. Lord God, I thank you that Philip was responsive to you. I thank you for his example. And I thank you for your call on us as your people, as your church, that there is good news that our world needs. And Lord, we pray that you'd fill us so much with your heart and your joy that like Philip, we'd be looking for opportunities to answer the nudges of your spirit. So Lord, fill us to be a church who are radiant with your joy and overflowing with this hope that we would want to share it with others. In your name we pray, amen.